The scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew you can use and follow along with me as I read. Romans 6, 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, by now you've, you've seen the title of my sermon, right? You've read it on the thing? Well, I brought someone to come help me explain that. Y'all know what that is? It is a gnome. It's a garden gnome. It's the best one I could find because I don't have a, a, a garden gnome in my garden. But I handed a title to Jocelyn this past week and I said, you know, okay, here's my sermon title. And she said, um, what does that word mean? And you're probably asking that same question. Ron, what does that word mean? Well, uh, to help us understand the word, I've brought this little garden gnome uh, to help us understand the word and how it relates to Romans chapter 6, the passage I just read. Now, how many of you all have a garden gnome in your yard? No one. At least no one's admitting it because you think I'm going to say it's wrong, it's wrong. No, it's not. That's not. It's nothing against this, this uh, garden gnome. Even though the garden gnomes have become fairly popular over the past few years, I mean, uh, even Travelocity, you know, the travel site has a little garden gnome as their little mascot. And, and uh, there's even been a few movies made b- about garden gnomes. And maybe you've, if you have small kids, maybe you've seen these movies. One is called um, Gnomeo and Juliet. Yeah. Well, then the sequel, the sequel to it is Sherlock Gnomes. That's just, I don't know, that's just what's going around these days. I don't know if there'll be another one or not. I don't know how well it did in the box office, but... When you read the word antinomianism, you might think, well, Ron is against gnomes. That's what it is. It's all about being against the garden gnomes. Well, you'll be happy to know and encourage that I'm not against garden gnomes. If you want to put a garden gnome in your garden, more power to you. Uh, It's fine. And the passage we're looking at in Romans 6 actually is not a crusade against garden gnomes. So be encouraged. But the passage does have something to say against antinomians. And so what is an antinomian? Well, the prefix anti means 
against. And the word nomos uh, actually does not refer to a garden gnome. All right. Nomos is the Greek word for law. So to be anti-nomos is to be against law or against the law of God specifically. And so in Romans 6, we do have something here in this passage that speaks to those who hold that view of the law of God. This anti-law view. And the reason Paul addresses this view of antinomianism is because of what he just said in verse 14. And he wants to make sure we don't misunderstand what he's talking about. If you remember last week, we talked about uh, chapter 6, verse 14. And this is what he said in verses 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you. In other words, in Christ, sin is not uh, your, your master anymore. You have freedom from the bondage of sin. Since you are not under law, but under grace. That's what he says. Paul says, as a Christian, you are no longer under law. You are under grace. And so if you have faith in Christ, we are now under, we are under grace. And this leads Paul to go on to say, in verse 15, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? In other words... You know, since we're no, no longer under law, can we just do whatever we want? So Paul's anticipating this question in the reader's mind. And it's a very important question. Uh, it's all about, you know, what is the relationship between the Christian and God's law? How do, how do we relate to one another? So first, let me define what I think Paul means by the law here. What I believe Paul is referring to as the law. And the word law is used in a variety of ways throughout the book of Romans. But to put it simply, the law is what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Okay, that's the law in a nutshell. What God says is right and what God says is wrong. You know, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? You may remember what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor As yourself. And then he says this. He says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the law tells us how to love God and how to love our neighbor, how to love one another. For example, you know, God tells us how we're to love him, how we're to worship him and approach him. Uh, We're not to worship any other God but him alone. Uh, we're not to uh, create images to worship of, you know, in likeness of God or creation and worship them. We're not to do that. We're not to take God's name in vain. These are all ways in which we are to approach God and love God. Don't do those things, but worship God rightly. And then he tells us also, how do we love one another? These are all, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, Ron's going through some of the Ten Commandments here. You know, think about this. Uh, God says, honor your father and mother. Uh, don't kill each other. Don't murder each other. Uh, don't steal from each other. Don't lie to each other. Uh, don't covet. Be faithful in your marriages. Don't commit adultery. This is how you love one another. So all the law and prophets hinge on those two that Jesus said. You know, loving God, loving one another. That is the law of God. And so what's important to note is that, you know, stealing, for example, let's just take that one. Stealing was wrong 4,000 years ago, and it's wrong today. You know, in that sense, God's law doesn't expire. 
It's a reflection of who He is. He is faithful. He is true. And therefore, He wants us to be that way. We're to image Him, right? So these laws of God, these moral laws of God, so to speak, they don't expire. But they're always applicable. Uh, Whether you were part of the nation of Israel or you're a part of the church. If you're God's people, these are always applicable to us. Uh, But at the same time, even though those laws apply to us and how we are to approach God and to love each other, uh, Paul says we're not under the law. We're under grace. And what this means is that our right standing with God is not dependent on how well we keep the law. Okay, Our acceptance before God is not uh, based on our own righteousness or how well we obey the law. Our right standing with God is solely based on how well Jesus kept the law and what He did for us on the cross and through His resurrection, what He gave to us. And so it's not that law just went out the window. It's that Jesus fulfilled the law and paid the penalty for our disobedience to the law so that we can now be made right with God. That's what it means we're no longer under the law. The law cannot come to us and tell us, okay, you don't measure up, therefore you're condemned. You're enemies of God. You're not in God's family. The law cannot do that any longer because we are made righteous in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's based on His obedience, not our own. And so that's what brought us under grace. You know, it's a free gift. It's what Christ has accomplished for us. That's why it's by grace we are saved through faith. However, that's what puts us in a right relationship with God. That's what uh, makes us acceptable to God, puts us in His family. But, you know, what is right and wrong remains the same. That doesn't change. What is right and what is wrong does not change. It remains the same. And so, As Christians, as people who have been made right with God through faith in Christ, we can still make choices about what we're going to do. Whether we're going to do something right according to God's law, or will we break it and be disobedient to God? We have the ability to make that choice. Paul says it this way in verses 17 through 19. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Uh, For as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And he uses this analogy of slavery to describe obedience. And his main point is this. That all of us are obeying something or someone and serving something or someone. We're all doing this. Whether you're a Christian or not. You're you're obeying, you're serving, you're enslaved to something. Whatever it is that's driving you, uh, whatever's influencing the way you act, behave, think, that is your master. And so what Paul's saying is, before you came to Christ, your master was sin. And there's nothing you could do about it. You could not come out from under sin as a master on your own effort. That's why we need Christ to break that chain of bondage and release us from the slavery of sin. So now, we have been enabled now to seek God. 
to know God, to live for God, and not uh, be in, in bondage to sin. But with this freedom that Christ has given us, we can still sin. And we can still choose to disobey God. But when you disobey God, even as a Christian, when you disobey God, sin pays you with the currency of death. That's the only currency sin has to give, is death. The wages of sin is death. And so sin pays you with the currency of death. And death is not just limited to physical death. So when you think of death, don't just think of physically dying. But death is more than that. Death is the devolving of life. It's the devolving of a community. It's a devolving of creation. It's kind of like an unraveling. It's a degeneration. It's a breakdown of what life is meant to be. And so sin leads to death. It leads to this degeneration of the way life was meant to be experienced. I mean, just think about it. I mean, what would it be like to live in a community where people would just continually lie to people all the time? Or continually murdered other people, just continuously. I mean, you would just have a breakdown, a complete breakdown of what uh, humanity and community should be about. It would be the devolving of life as we know it. That's what sin does. And so you have sin giving the currency of death, even for the Christian. You know, the Christian can experience some of that death in disobedience because it unravels what God intends for you to have. It unravels it. It, it decomposes it. You know. Whereas obedience to God leads to life. You know, Paul uses the term sanctification uh, to describe the Christian who seeks to obey God. And sanctification is a process. It means that you are, you are actually becoming and experiencing who God wants you to be. So it's your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, being experienced and actualized in the here and now. Like right now. So when you obey God and you seek God's will, you are actually experiencing that identity in Christ that you have through faith in Him by grace. You are beginning to experience it and realize it in the here and now. You're becoming more of the person God wants you to be. You could, even, you could even argue that you're becoming more human because you're aligning more with who God made you to be. So God gives life. He brings restoration and renewal. Whereas sin decomposes, it leads to death. And this all comes as a Christian. We obey, it says, through through obedience from the heart. Listen to how Paul describes how this works out in our life in verse 17. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So the standard of teaching refers to the gospel and how the gospel propels us to live a life of love. Love to God, love to others. And Paul says that we've moved from being slaves to sin to being committed to God from the heart. Meaning that it's not just an external uh, conformity to a, a list of rules, but rather something has changed within that we actually now 
want to pursue God's design. We want to do what God wants us to do. We're seeing God's law differently. We're seeing, we're seeing God's ways differently. And this obedience now flows from a position of acceptance by God. Because we've been accepted by faith in Christ. By grace. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. So from a position of acceptance, now we live out who we are in Christ. So it's no longer an obedience that is driven by fear and rejection. You know, we don't obey God because we fear that He's going to reject us or kick us out or not love us. That's not our motivation anymore. It's an obedience from the heart because there's been a change that's been wrought because of what Christ has done for us in bringing us to God through faith, by grace. And so it's obedience from the heart which produces a changed life. Your God loves us into change. It's the love of God that brings out the change uh, through the gospel. And so when we obey God's commands, we experience life. We experience blessing. We experience His design. We experience life itself. What it means to be human. You know, what God wants us to experience. Whereas when we sin and we go against God's ways, we experience a type of death. A, a decomposition, a devolving of life. And this is why Paul says in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when you work for sin, you are paid with death. That's what it is. That's the wage you get. That's the only wage sin can give is death. Whereas God gives life to those who have faith in Christ. And so the question is, are we antinomians? Absolutely not. We're not antinomians. Because we see God's ways as good and right. We see God's ways. Actually, this is how you become more of who God wants you to be. is by obeying God's commands. And so, it's through the free gift of God that we're given this opportunity to enter a right relationship with Him through Jesus. And now through faith in Jesus, we're no longer under the law. So we're not trying to climb the ladder of the law to try to reach God. Rather, we are brought from under law to under grace. We're made right with God through Christ, through what He's done for us. And if we want to experience a full and meaningful life, like what Jesus tells us, that He came to give us a full and meaningful life, an abundant life, if we want to experience that more and more now, today, then we must see God's commands as good and right. We've got to see them for what they are. And see, they're meant to, to help us experience the life that He's given us. And we must seek to obey them from the heart. And so let me ask you a question. Is there any area of your life where you're living in sin? I mean, just think about it. Your relationships, your attitude, your possessions, your work... Your thought life. Because this is what we know, and that is, God does not bless sin. But God offers a better way. Whereas sin offers death in that area in which you're practicing sin, sin's going to give you death in that area. But God offers a better way. God offers life. God is able to help us 
overcome sin so that we can experience both life now and forever. But you have a choice to make, and that choice is this. You know, who will you serve? Will you serve sin or the Savior? The sin will pay you in death, whereas the Savior will pay you in grace, always blessing us with more than we deserve. You know, even our imperfect obedience, because our obedience is never completely pure, right? But even in our imperfect obedience, God blesses those who seek Him in faith. And that's what grace is all about. You know, the grace of God is not a magical formula. The grace of God is God giving us the ability and the opportunity in Christ to become the people He wants us to be. It gives gives freedom from the power of sin and enables us to recognize God's laws as good and right. And this grace comes to us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so are we antinomians? Uh, no, we're not. And Paul makes that clear. No. You know, even though we're not under law, can we just do whatever we want? Answer is no. Why would you do that? Do you want to experience death? Is that what you want? Why would you even think that? No, we're not antinomians. We recognize that God is good and that his ways are right. And we've been given this new life in Christ and we want to experience it more and more as we seek out to obey God from the heart. So as we stand and we sing together, we're going to sing this final hymn. And as we do that, you know, if, there, if there's any area in your life where you're practicing sin, I want to encourage you to confess that to God now because that leads to death. There will be a death there in that area. Confess that to God. Yeah, I want you to I want you just to unfold your life before God as we as we sing. And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and just show you is there any anyone or anything that you're living for other than him? Cuz God wants to give you life, but we must be willing to do it his way. And so, as we stand and sing, Let's continue in a spirit of prayer and respond to God as he as he puts his finger on that area that you need to give back to him. And if you'd like to come forward to pray about something, I'll be here. I'd love to talk with you, pray for you as well. If that's something God's leading you to do. But let us stand and let us sing and let us respond to God and what he's doing right now.